0: I think it was with first grade students. And a part of the lesson plan was that she needed to show an educational video that was on YouTube. Has any of everyone used YouTube before? Anyone? Has anyone seen advertisements that come on before the YouTube video? I don't know if you if you haven't been on there recently. Oftentimes, there's advertisements of between five seconds or 30 seconds, and there's this point in time that you need to watch it until that little button appears that says you can skip it. Well, Emily, as she was teaching, brought up this YouTube video, and lo and behold, an advertisement came on. And given the time period that we are in right now, you can probably take a guess at what type of advertisement it was. A political advertisement. And so there Emily was as this political advertisement was playing on the screen with 20 students sitting, eyes glued, all 40 eyes glued to the TV, wide-eyed, and they heard things like, this person's too extreme. Too radical for Michigan, right? And their eyes widened a little bit further and the advertisement ended. And before they could get to the start of, I think, the video that they were supposed to be watching, this question came up. Miss Emily, is that person really as bad as what they make it sound? Is that person really as bad as... You make it sound, or as they make it sound. I think oftentimes we see those political advertisements. They come at the expense of others. And I'm not talking the monetary expense to to make the ad, to buy the ad space, things like that. But they come to the expense of someone's integrity They come at the expense of someone's character. They come at the expense of their person. I don't think commercials either are the only thing that comes at the expense of people. Oftentimes, if you ever experience growing up, you could have humor at the expense of people laughing at someone for something they did. We even made a TV show about it, America's Funniest Home Videos. And, and you pull up these videos, and some of them are funny because it's like a, you know, a cat crawling up some like screen door or whatever, or it's a, a dog doing something funny. But other times, it's really at the expense of people and perhaps how they failed in life humor while we laugh at someone perhaps not with someone it really when you boil that down it is rejoicing or celebrating at the downfall of another person being pleased letting a smirker smile come to our face when something happens to someone that we really probably wish wouldn't even happen to ourselves, Rejoicing at the expense of others. We actually saw it just yesterday. Uh, Anyone watch the World Series? Well, there was one team that happened to win enough games to win the entire World Series. And all of their fans and all of the team run out onto the field and they're excited, they're joyful, they're, they're the winners. But then you have the other people rejoicing at the expense of them, essentially. The ones who leave the field, head hanging low, wondering if that was their one shot to win it all going away sad. I think there's times though where our culture takes this idea rejoicing at someone's expense a little bit too far and that's that's where those situations that happen where we respond with maybe joyfulness or cheerfulness Well, they got what was coming to them. They got What they deserved, and I think what we'll find uh, as we head into Proverbs this morning is that's not the mindset that we need to bring to life. We do not really rejoice at the downfall of anybody, including our enemy, as what we'll read in Proverbs chapter 24. So, if you want to grab your phone, Bible, tablet, whatever you use, head to Proverbs chapter 24. We're going to read. Uh, 10 verses, starting at verse 13. It'll be a page 532 if you have, if you grab one of the Bibles in those seats. Uh, students, if you've got your Bibles, it'll be page or, sorry, 783. Let's begin here. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Do not lurk like a thief near the house of the righteous. Do not plunder their dwelling place, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. That could also be read as, do not celebrate when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. or the Lord will see and disprove and turn his wrath away from them. Do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked. For the evildoer has no future hope. And the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. Fear the Lord and the King, my son, and do not join with rebellious officials, for those too will send sudden destruction on them. And who knows what calamities that will bring. That's where we're going to end our reading this morning. As we head through portions of the book of Proverbs, we we see several contrasts that happen. Wisdom and folly was one we talked about last week, and what we see here is a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And within here, there are several actions that, that the righteous person should, should not take part in. There are prohibitions, you could say, things that that should be uh, no part about our life. Do not lurk and essentially seek out violence upon another person. Do not gloat. Or, or you could read that, like I said, celebrate at the downfall of someone else. And finally, do, do not fear or fret. The last two, the gloating and the, the fretting, are these internal responses that we we have, largely. they They could be seen as actions we do, but more so they're probably feelings that arise within the heart and mind towards something. The reactions that we have to the successes or failures of other people reveal much of what is in our heart. And it's interesting, as much as the Lord disproves of evil behavior, it's interesting how here the Lord shares a proverb to us that's how we should respond at the downfall of one who has been doing evil. I think for many of us, or maybe even more so our culture, gloating and celebrating is, it's just this natural reaction. In recent years, uh, the NFL got away from excessive celebration. If anyone remembers back in the day the icky shuffle, I think it was, icky woods, and how he would get flagged for that type of thing. Just a small, little dance. Now, I was watching this last week, a Carolina Panthers football game. They were losing by six points with just a few minutes. I think it might have been just seconds remaining in the game. And as the game progressed, they, were, they weren't even up to the 50-yard line yet. And the, the quarterback toss the ball and DJ Moore caught it 62 yards down the field diving in the end zone tying the game up with only an extra point to follow for them to win the game. What happened was a celebration where he took off his helmet and was gloating and was celebrating and excited and he drew a flag because he's not supposed to take off his helmet. Now I say the natural reaction of our gloating or celebrating at someone's downfall came to my mind because of my thoughts in that situation. Because I'm like, man, you just caused your team 15 yards, and now this is going to be like a 48-yard extra point, and the kicker missed it. I said, wouldn't it be a thing based on that guy's unsmart, kind of stupid move, something that he should have known better if they lost the game. And they did. And in part of that, as simple as it was, I found myself somewhat celebrating at the downfall of another individual. When we think about it in those ways, it's it's pretty easy then to think of those simple everyday occurrences where we have been somewhat pleased with the downfall of an individual. It doesn't even necessarily have to be our enemy. And it's something Scripture strictly prohibits. Elsewhere in in Scripture, we read about not gloating or celebrating in the downfall of our enemy Has anyone ever read the book of Obadiah? If you haven't, if you haven't read the book of Obadiah, it's about two people groups. If you go back a ways in the Old Testament, you'll find out that it's it's about Jacob, the younger brother essentially, the descendants of Jacob, and the descendants of the older brother Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau had a tenuous relationship Partly because Jacob, along with his mother, uh, tricked his dad into giving the blessing that was supposed to be Esau's to Jacob. And Esau never lived it down. And what you find is the descendants of Esau, the Edomites, lived that way going forward to have a disdain for the people of Israel, the people of Jacob. And what happened was Esau's people, the Edomites, they gloated and celebrated when Jerusalem was ransacked and the people were taken away. And then the word of the Lord came to Obadiah and said this, said this to the people of Judah. You should not gloat over your brother, the Edomites, in the days of their misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. The Lord directing His people to not rejoice at anyone's misfortune, even when someone might be getting what they deserve so to speak. There's not a time in Scripture where we find that the Lord would approve of gloating and celebrating over someone's downfall. And I think that's because these teachings that are passed down to us recognize that gloating and celebrating over someone's downfall it comes from a place of envy within us. It comes from a place of anger within us or resentment within us or bitterness within us. Either we would like the good fortune or power that a certain individual had or we perhaps wonder if, why we wouldn't be able to get away with what they have done. Our inward desires of this anger and this Envy result in us taking pleasure in their downfall. They result in our celebrating or gloating at the downfall of another individual. Wonder if you 've ever been a driver or even a passenger in a car as you were driving on the highway, all of a sudden you see this guy that's flying through traffic has to be 10 to 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, and this person is just flying and cruising and weaving through the traffic, and then just a few miles later, you see that one red light of the State Patrol Tahoe pulled over on the side of the road with that car that has been speeding. I wonder in our mind, does a smirk or a smile cross our face as we gloat or celebrate at the downfall of another individual. A pretty simple thing that I can say I have actually probably wished on people that I feel are not driving well. Also, I think in the season that we're in, with elections just two days from now, I think we can realize we give the political sector in life perhaps too much power. It's it's an area where anger, envy, rage, and bitterness are on national display. And I think our relationships, too, And our reactions to politics reveal the desires of our heart. Gloating and celebrating at the downfall could be as easy as this. Pointing out certain linguistic struggles of current and former presidents like how many people would talk about George Bush and the way that he spoke as a way to bring him down. Or currently with current President Biden, as we make note of and point out missteps in communication. Perhaps it would be too gloating at the downfall, you could say, of former President Trump, two years ago when he lost the election, the political life of a Christian will reveal what is in our hearts by the way we even speak and refer to these people in political power. Are our hearts fully committed to Christ and His compassion? Or have our hearts gained an undue commitment to a party? Just a few weeks ago, uh, Senator Pelosi's husband was attacked in their California home. And he went on to have surgery to repair a fractured skull and I think it's unfortunate what we witnessed after that, and maybe you didn't witness, so I'll share. We witnessed a, a variety of responses from politicians who claim Christ. And the responses were a commitment to party, not a commitment to compassion. On one side, the Democrats attempted to politicize the attack by Focusing on the attacker and the political ideals of said attacker as a way to gloat in the downfall of the Republican Party In those individuals ideals. On the other side, Republican figures celebrated the opportunity to degrade the reputation of Mr. Pelosi by saying he was potentially in a relationship with his attacker, or that someone from the inside, potentially even he or another individual, let the attacker in and that this was all a show for political gain. Responses did not show Christian compassion as they sought to take advantage of one another for political gain. And it was all on display in news outlets for America to witness the downfall of an individual in a way that they would use that for their own personal gain. But here's the thing. As much as we see these things that are on the screen in the news read in the paper, even if the things that we think in our mind or the things that are in our heart are not on display for others to see, even if it's just a small conversation with a friend, it's the Lord who sees everything we think. It's the Lord who sees everything that we do. And this passage in Others, through Scripture, say that the Lord sees all. He sees those public responses. He sees those private thoughts. In Psalm 11, verse 4, the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is in His heavenly throne. He observes every everyone on earth and His eyes examine them. As we are called to turn from those reactions of violence and envy and greed and revenge and and using situations for personal gain. We must instead turn to a, a trust in the Lord, the Lord who calls us to live differently, to not gloat or celebrate at the downfall of our enemies. And we see this too in in the teaching that that Jesus brings to us. In, In Matthew 5, 39, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Even if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Or if we continued in His Sermon on the Mount, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Perhaps Jesus took these words from Proverbs and other Proverbs as well that say this, if your enemy's hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Maybe Jesus is the one that took these passages to create his teaching about love of neighbor, but also love of enemy, where we would not actively gloat and celebrate at downfall, but instead seek well-being. Instead of focusing on the reactions to the successes and failures of our enemies, instead we're we're called to trust in God and focus on the hope that He provides. The Lord said the righteous may fall seven times, but they rise again, even earlier in Proverbs chapter 24, I talked about when you gain the wisdom, you gain a hope. I'm reminded of a parable that Jesus shared with the disciples. There was a a son that wished his father dead. He essentially said, give me my inheritance. I wish you were gone. Give me the money that is owed to me, and and he took the money, and the younger son, he left, and he squandered all the gifts and all the things that his father had given him, while the older brother stayed with the father, doing everything the father asked. And yet one day, the, the younger son, with nothing but lint in his pockets, came back to the father. And what the father did was was not gloat. It was not to celebrate at the downfall of his own son. But it was to put a ring back on his finger. To put a, a cloak back on his body. To rejoice and to throw a party, having compassion on him, bringing him in. I think anytime we listen to a story of Scripture, we always like to insert ourselves into the picture. I mean, we probably don't want to insert ourselves as the son. We don't want to the younger one that wishes the father dead. But we probably like to introduce ourselves into the story as the father, right? We want to be the guy that's got compassion and grace and so on. But the reality is we're probably more like the older brother, where we think that we've been the ones that have been doing everything right in the first place. And we're sitting there outside looking at these people that weren't living in the way that they should, and yet somehow they're getting this great treatment. And we're faced with a decision, do we we go in and celebrate with them, having the same compassion that the Father had on them, or do do we instead try to focus on their downfall, celebrating in the ways that they have messed up? The choice of showing love or breeding resentment and contempt. The truth is, we were all enemies. Romans 5. For if we were, while we were God's enemies, each and every one of us, we were focusing on our own will, living in our own way, actively perhaps pursuing, maybe unknowingly pursuing things that were contrary to what God had in store for our life. If while we were enemies like that, We were reconciled through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? We didn't see the Father gloating in the way that the Son squandered things. Just like we didn't see the the Lord gloat at how Adam and Eve sinned against what God had said. No, instead, the Lord would begin a way working compassion in people's life that He would be able by grace to save them from this evil way of life, to, to bring them on that new path that would now follow Him and give glory to Him and ask all people who would follow to do that same thing for other people. In our lives, it was God who worked to rescue us, and He asks us to rejoice in that rescue. To rejoice in the way that God's compassion and grace comes in this world, and the ways that He invites us to have that compassion and that grace among all the people that we live with on earth. There were a couple notable days this past week that allows us to remember the grace of Christ and the impact it has on not only our life, but other lives as well. October 31 was actually two of these special days. It's known as the Reformation, which was the the linchpin that began the movement that developed into Protestant churches. The movement that said salvation and forgiveness is not something that happens by way of of money being paid to someone to forgive your sins. No, forgiveness comes truly and only through God by the grace of Jesus in our life. Also, October 31 is known as All Hallows' Eve. A day where Christians unite in saying that they do not fear death for the grace of Christ has been something they have experienced. And that leads into November 1, which is All Saints' Day where we remember all of those who have gone before us acknowledging the compassion they've received from the grace of Christ who are now living with God, those who are waiting to be resurrected with all creation, joined together in the kingdom of God's glory, we celebrate these. We celebrate the the grace of God in those, but we also celebrate the grace of God every other single day, rejoicing and remembering how it's God's grace that provides a hope in our life that cannot be taken away. God's grace provides a hope in our life that, that is the center of everything we do. It is the, the core of who we are and in what we believe. So, there we could not therefore then celebrate at the downfall of our enemy because we are more worried about rejoicing in the rescue of Christ in our life and in the lives of others, done all by His grace, done all by His Son, done all by His power, the Lord, our source of hope for all eternity. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the the source of hope that we celebrate today, but the source of hope that we celebrate every single day that we're alive. That we were enemies. And yet it was You who came and, and rescued us, calling us then to live lives that emulated Jesus by giving grace. In compassion on those who don't deserve it. And it's in his name that we pray.